be with you this morning. Our passage today is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Excuse me as I on here. If you would mind, not mind, thank you Dwayne, already standing there. If you wouldn't mind standing as we read God's word today, this is his holy and perfect, inspired, authoritative word. Begins in Romans 5 verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, well so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this and the needed repetition over and over again. The same statement said in different angles, different ways, all to drive home a point that has been building throughout these chapters in this book that Paul wrote. Let's pray that as we read them and study them, that we wouldn't get lost in the words, but Lord, that we would be convicted and inspired by what we read here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in the second half of chapter 5, Paul takes us all the way back to Adam. He reminds us that human history began with a high point at God's creation of man and his image. And unfortunately, it isn't long before Adam and Eve corrupt that image through sin. Imagine that humanity through the fall ended up at the bottom of a long staircase. And the rest of the Bible tells us how little by little, step by step, God blessed his people with gifts and then moved them away from sin's curse and closer to the dignity with which he originally created them. Now, for example, immediately after the fall, God clothed this people with the first sacrifice and gave Adam and Eve the responsibility of taking dominion over the creation. It's it's as if there was a step back, you know, step up the staircase, if you will, uh, towards a restored fellowship and a restored dignity. And then in the days of Noah, God took another significant step by elevating the inherent worth of mankind. He commanded Noah and Noah's descendants not to intentionally kill one another. If they did, they would suffer death themselves because they had destroyed something that God had declared worthwhile. And then in the days of Abraham, 
God takes another step by setting a nation and a people apart to be his representatives. And Israel in her culture, her laws, and in everything will be consecrated to be his people. And they will be under Moses. And this was another step. And then God appointed priests and prophets to intercede for and call his people back from sin. And then, and then finally, David is a man who's given a position of king to reflect God's leadership and protection. And in each of these steps, as the story progressed, God brings greater restoration to his people. And over the course of the Old Testament, man begins to take a dominion over the creation. He respects the dignity of others. He establishes a holy culture and laws and serves as prophet, priest, and king. And these are glimmers of hope. But despite all of those wondrous blessings, mankind still needed more. As Paul says in verse 14, there was a big problem. Death still reigned, and man was still under the condemnation of God. And although God's gifts impacted many lives in positive ways, humanity's sinful responses and their continued perversion of what he blesses them with proves that the restoration is incomplete. Men and women did not fully take dominion over the creation for the glory of God, They continued to also disrespect the dignity of others. They mixed pagan culture and laws with gods. They abused the offices of prophet and priest and king with even the greatest of men often committing horrible sins while serving as leaders. And imperfection and impurity do not survive in heaven. And so it doesn't matter whether there are glimmers of hope. Unless we are perfect, we cannot be forever with God. We might say that the staircase, the one that I mentioned earlier, stretched a distance, but it fell far, far too short of its mark. And children, you can imagine a staircase that ends 15 feet short of the next floor. Right? No staircase, no matter how high it is, ultimately serves a purpose if that final gap is too large to cross. And so in chapters 3 through 5 of Romans, Paul has told us that God solved the problem of bridging this gap, if you will, by sending his son Jesus to die on behalf of our sin. And interestingly, in our morning's passage, Jesus is compared and contrasted with Adam. So it would profit us to understand what is being compared and why. In 1 Corinthians 15 45, we read, and so it is written that the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. And if you think about some of the similarities between Christ and Adam, there are a couple. First, both Adam and Christ were perfect images of God. Before the fall, Adam possessed God's untainted likeness and in much The same way Paul describes Jesus in 2 Corinthians 4 as the image of God. As perfect God, perfect man though, Christ even more than Adam uniquely represented God in the world. And that's why Hebrews 1 eloquently says it this way. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And that That phrase, exact imprint, in the New King James reads, the express image of God. There's no better picture of who the invisible God is than the visible person of Jesus Christ. 
Second, Adam and Christ received similar commissions. If we were to say, what was, what was Adam's job? Some of you kids might say, well, he was to, well, he wasn't a fireman, right? He wasn't a doctor, maybe a little bit of a veterinarian. Uh, he was a farmer, right? Some of those types of jobs. But the point is, he was to work the fields. He was to take care of animals. He was to, he was to master and steward things. Well, what about Jesus? Like Adam, in a sense, metaphorically, he was a husband and a father. We are told that the church is his bride. But he's not in a physical sense. God the Son, the second Adam, does have the bride as the church. And through his risen life, Jesus is able to make men and women the adopted children of God. As far as being a farmer and a veterinarian, I was being a little facetious with regard to Adam, but at the heart of that job was the stewarding of God's creation, and Jesus certainly does that. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And not only is he over all things, but he made all things, according to Colossians 1 and John 1, and in him all things continue to exist. So Christ is similar to Adam in that he represents God. He has a bride. He is fruitful. He takes care of all things. But there's a third and even greater connection between both Adam and Christ. And that is that they played pivotal roles in human history by representing more than just themselves. For example, as the first representative, Adam represented all human beings who followed him. His actions were more than personal choices. Those actions had consequences for every one of his descendants. As Paul says in verse 12, sin came into the world through him, through one man, and death through sin, and death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so as our representative, Adam introduces sin and judgment to the human race. And it's difficult for many to grasp this because we fail to understand things covenantally. We certainly understand being held accountable for something that we do. We certainly understand being held accountable for all of the things that we say, even the things that we think and are motivated by. But why be held accountable for something that someone else did thousands of years ago, someone we didn't even meet well, Adam is described as our federal representative, the covenantal head. I know those are big terms of the entire race. And it just simply means that when Adam sinned, the entire human race sinned in him and through him. And I should add that Adam represented us well. Not in a godly way, of course, but in an accurate way. None of us would have done any better than Adam. He did exactly what we would have done in his place. But fortunately, Adam isn't our only covenantal head. In verse 17, Paul writes that like Adam, Jesus' actions also had effects and consequences on the lives of God's redeemed people. Paul writes, for if there, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, which is saying, you know, Adam was our first representative, and because of him, death reigned over everyone. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and that free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
So whereas Adam's actions brought death, Christ's actions bring righteousness to those who are made alive through faith. In Adam's death, we all died. And in Christ's death, we all died. I probably surprised you with that, but think about it. When we died in Adam, we died to eternal life. However, in Jesus, we died to sin. But thankfully, Jesus rose again. And just like him, we too have been born again to live for the rest of eternity with the Lord. And please hear this, because it is vital to your understanding of the gospel. Jesus did not die so that you could keep living in the same condition that you were in. It's really important to understand that. Jesus did not die so that you could keep living in the same condition that you're in. What happened is that Christ died such that when he was brought to the cross, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he brought all of us with him. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. And when Christ died, he represented his people covenantally, and And all that are his died with him. Don't you know, Paul says in the next chapter of Romans, that if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's good news. We were covenantally connected to Christ in his death, and we are also covenantally connected to Christ in his life. So hear this, what Jesus did on the cross, you did. Just like what Adam did in the garden, you did. You can't have it both ways. Even though some people like to have it both ways. Is Adam's sin really yours? Yes, it's really yours. Is Christ's obedience really yours? Yes, it is. It's as much yours as Adam's disobedience was. And that is wonderful news. And understand, I'm not talking about Christ's obedience magically infused into me as if God is saying, what a fine person you, Steve Walker, are now that I have made you righteous. As if I am perfect like Jesus. What I'm saying is this, federal covenantal representation means that when Jesus obeyed the Father, you obeyed the Father in Christ such that the obedience of the last Adam, Jesus, is as much yours as the disobedience of the first Adam is yours. And if this isn't true, we lose the whole point of having a first and a second Adam. I hope that makes sense. That's why Paul says it over and over and over again in this chapter. When Christ obeyed, you obeyed. When Christ resisted temptation in the wilderness, so did you. When Christ suffered, bled, and died, so did you. When Christ was buried, you were buried. When Christ rose again, you rose again. If you are in him. What would someone say if you were asked if you sinned when Adam sinned and you answered, well, when Adam sinned, I sort of sinned technically, I suppose. They would say, no, you're trying to run away from total depravity and original sin. The Bible says that your condemnation is real and deserved. Because your depravity and death in sin is real. And when Adam fell, you really fail, not just technically, but covenantally. 
But thankfully, your salvation and life in and through Christ is also real too. Why all of that work? Because this passage is impossible to understand unless we, we did the work. And because the Bible is more than just stories, there are fundamental, profound realities at work in the Bible, and one of them is this covenantal headship that is foreign to us in many ways as modern-day Americans. And when we understand this truth, our understanding of Christ and the gospel grows exponentially. The Bible tells us of how Adam, my covenantal representative, disobeyed God several thousand years ago. And then it lets me watch as Adam's descendants, men and women, Moses, David, Esther, Ruth, all of them, try to get me out of this mess and yet fall short. As verse 14 says, death reigned despite all of these great people of the faith. These are great heroes and heroines. But by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, we realize the great need for a Savior. And when we also realize that God works through this concept of covenantal headship, we get excited about the possibility that there might be a different representative. We don't want to stay under the first Adam. And as I said at the beginning, over the course of that great story, that unfolding of God's history, there are glimpses of hope that foreshadow the second Adam, that foreshadow Jesus coming. But they're just glimmers. They're not... They're not the real thing. The tabernacle and temple, for example, seem like successes for restoring intimacy with God. They seem like successes, but then we realize that the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's throne, has cherubim guarding it. And it's behind a curtain. And those cherubim remind us of the cherubim that guarded the Garden of Eden. And yes, there were images of pomegranates and other fruits representing a great harvest and and really recalling the images of the garden, but they were just sculpted. They weren't really the fruit of the tree of life. They were reminders. They were certainly better than what people had before. You might even call them advancements, but neither the tabernacle nor the temple were ultimately sufficient or satisfying And God only foreshadowed restored fellowship through various feasts and events and institutions. He also let his people occasionally speak with him. But even that had limitations. God let Moses speak with him, yes. But Stephen tells us in Acts that this conversation was actually mediated through angels. When God himself physically passed by, Moses was instructed to hide himself in the cleft of a rock. In another case, a high priest, yes, he's allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. It's a type of interaction with God, if you will, burn incense on the Day of Atonement, but only the high priest, only once a year, only after a lengthy and precise ritual, and on pain of death. And you see the point. The first Adam fell and was banished from the garden, and ever since his descendants have been trying to get back to intimate fellowship with God. And when Jesus, our high priest and second Adam, died, what happened? The temple veil was torn in two. Why? It was symbolic of access being given back to God. One of the most interesting things about the Bible is that in Revelation, where it describes the new heavens and the new earth, there's a tree of life there. 
It's as if the first chapter of Genesis and the last chapter of, first chapters of Genesis, last chapters of Revelation have, are these two bookends, right? And they look similar because God has restored the fellowship fully that was lost. And that's what Jesus does. Adam's sin resulted in the state of death that we've been reading about in the first four chapters of Romans. Only Jesus is as great as and even greater than those who came before him. All people who failed to reverse the effects of Adam's fall. No one else could be the Messiah. Part of the reason for all the negative stories of the Old Testament is to expose the lives, even of the most prominent individuals. When we read about Abraham and David and others... David is a perfect example that a sinful man, a murderer, adulterer, and a poor parent can, with God's help and forgiveness, still be blessed. And David, because of his sin, was not fit to be the last Adam, nor were Abraham, or Noah, or Moses, or Job, or Esther, or anybody else. Christ's superiority over all of these men and women is the reason why our hopes for restoration rest in him. Can we trust ourselves to save us <laughs> from sin and reverse the fall? Would you be fit to be our representative? I nominate Dan Davies. <laughs> I think he would say, I'm not fit to be your representative. I know I'm not fit to be your representative. And I'm afraid that not even, not any of us is remotely close to Adam's equal in God's eyes. We don't even begin life sinless. As David writes in the Psalms, I was conceived a mother, or I was a conceived a mother. Now that would be, that's probably appropriate to today's uh, time. I was conceived a sinner in my mother's womb. Can we trust any other person to redeem us? No. Not a Confucius, not a Muhammad, not even the heroes or heroines of the Bible. Who among us is unable to do what Adam did in the fall? Only Jesus. That's the point of our passage. And the big question is how? We've already seen how Jesus was similar to Adam in many ways. He was born without sin. He was God's image. He had a bride. He was given dominion over all things, steward them, appointed as a representative. But how are these two different? Perhaps you'll remember also that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan tempted Christ as he once had attempted had tempted Adam, and, and here's where we see one of the two significant differences between the first and second Adam, where Adam failed by rebelling against God's word. Jesus remained perfectly obedient and submissive to that word, and every point that Adam blew it, Jesus was successful. In fact, Jesus also mirrors the tests of Israel as a nation. So not only Adam as an individual, but Israel as a nation, and he passes each one. A second contrast is this. Adam's life began... When he was created by God, he did not earn or deserve life. He was merely commanded to continue in it with the possibility of dying should he disobey God. What about Jesus? Jesus' divine nature never began. As Son of God, he eternally existed in triune relationship with the Father and Holy Spirit. In him was life. It wasn't earned as the result of 33 years of sinless existence. It was kept as the result of 33 years of sinless existence as an incarnated person, God-man, because the sinless Son of God represents us. 
we then share in his eternal life. So Jesus obeyed the covenant perfectly, obeyed the Father perfectly, and Adam did not. Adam lost the life that God had given to him and consequently needed a Redeemer. To regain that life, Christ did not lose the life that had existed in him from eternity past. And he did not need a Redeemer. That's how he was able to be our substitute. And then being the incarnate Son of God, his sacrifice had eternal application. As the final two verses of our passage say, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I want to end this morning by reading to you from 1 Corinthians 15, 45, and then making a final comment. Here is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Well, what does that all mean? It means that Jesus is that second man, the one from heaven, the one called the last Adam. Those who are heavenly are people who are responding, have responded to him in faith. The first Adam was of the earth, made of dust, and as Paul says, so are all of us, descended from him, made of the dust of the ground. But then he makes that important conclusion. You can see at the bottom there in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Paul says that Jesus' headship not only brings restoration of fellowship with God and righteousness, but hear this, but that one day our bodies will bear the image of the heavenly just as our bodies now bear the image of the earthly. And that then means the totality of Jesus' representation for us covers body, mind, spirit. And the good news of the gospel is that God sent that last Adam, his son Jesus Christ, Perfect man, perfect God came to give you eternal life to make you a people who are suited for eternity, body and soul. You may remember the beautiful story in John eleven twenty three 23 of, of the friendship Jesus had with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And then Lazarus died before Jesus arrived at their home. And Martha and Mary were grieving. And Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that is the question for you this morning. You've seen how everything has been developing in Romans to this point. Depravity of man our constant tendency to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, the self-righteousness of the moralistic hypocrite who does the same things that the pagans do, the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the fact that even in the face of the law that tells us 
God's perfect standards. There is a righteousness apart from the law that God has provided. It's the same righteousness that was given to those like Abraham and Moses and others, a righteousness by faith. How does it come about? That's what Romans chapter 5 is all about. It comes about by coming under the headship and representation of a different Adam, of Jesus Christ. Without him, the full restoration of God's image and ultimately the ability to enjoy the presence of God forever is impossible. You'll be stuck on that top step, which for all intents and purposes is just as good as being dead. There is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. No other name. And should you choose to neglect and reject Christ, then unlike the redeemed who will rise above the floodwaters of judgment, you will be condemned to die as those in Noah's day died. May that not be said of you. And the great news of Romans and of the whole Bible is that you do not have to be afraid of what happens, not only after death, but what happens as a consequence of your inability to save yourself. Thanks be to God that he should send his son, that even while we were dead in sin, even while we were in rebellion against him, even while we were his enemies, yet he loves us and that he sent his son to die for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do praise you for your perfect holiness. I praise you for the fact that while we were enemies, you, you love us and you, you love what you are making of us, that you would die for us in that time past. Thank you, Lord, that while we were dead in and through Adam, because he represented us, and has represented us from our birth, despite the fact that we are made of dust. Yet because we can be in Christ, righteousness is possible, eternal life is possible, a resurrected body is possible. Lord, the further we get into this letter from Paul, the more we realize how gracious a God you are. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would keep rejoicing in these days to come. What a privilege to be called by the name of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.